Hello and welcome to the weekend wrap for the week on Wednesday. I am Ben Davison and happy Father's Day to each and every one of our listeners in Australia who is enjoying Father's Day, either as a father or as a child of fathers. Uh, I, of course, have never met my father, so Father's Day is not a particularly interesting day for me, but I appreciate that there are many, many people who will be taking the opportunity to spend time with family. Uh, And of course, if you are in lockdown somewhere around Australia, I hope that you have an opportunity to reach out, even digitally, and engage with your family today. There is some good news right off the bat. Victoria has crossed the 60% threshold for its first dose of vaccinations. So well done to all Victorians on achieving that milestone. Of course, unfortunately, there is some not so great news when it comes to COVID as well. There are now 24,000 active cases of COVID-19 in New South Wales, 1,700 active cases in Victoria. We have seen over the last two days, nearly 3,000 active cases added to the New South Wales numbers. There is 1,000 people in hospital with COVID in New South Wales and As was exposed yesterday by Rick Morton in the Saturday paper, 1,700 additional people in New South Wales who are receiving hospital-grade care at home. Now, these numbers haven't been reported by the New South Wales government during the course of the pandemic, but clearly we're seeing that 1,700 additional people are being treated at home with hospital-grade care. This is, of course, still putting pressure on the hospital system and putting pressure on the ambulance services, as we're seeing reported by the nurses, by the ambulance workers, uh, by paramedics. This is really disturbing that Gladys Berejiklian has not been reporting these numbers and has tried to dismiss them during today's press conference. The reason why we're seeing people die from COVID at home is because not because they weren't coming forward or weren't getting tested or were somehow a secret case, but actually they were already in care. They were already receiving hospital-grade care at home. They were simply not being reported on as part of the overall picture. And I think this is a really telling point in the pandemic. There is a lot of pressure for the states to open up once they hit that 70% and 80% vaccination rates. And we understand why. We understand why. In my family, we're separated because of COVID. My partner is in Sydney with her ill mother. I am in central Victoria. We can't see each other. We've been separated for nearly three months. It's hard. People aren't able to go to work. People aren't able to play sport. People aren't able to socialise. There are concerns about people's mental health. Even though, even though, and content warning here, even though the suicide rates have declined, in actual fact, have declined. So there are some genuine concerns. There are some hyperbolic concerns. But overall, of course, we want to get back to living our lives the way we want to live our lives, without fear, without trepidation. But of course, when information is withheld, when information is glossed over, people naturally get more suspicious. Because one of the other numbers that has come out today is that there are three children in intensive care in New South Wales due to COVID-19. Two of them are on ventilation. Two of them are on ventilation. We're seeing increasingly in Victoria, the infection is affecting younger people. 
younger and younger people. The demographics are skewing down. There are 89 people in hospital in Victoria. Once again, 1,000 in hospital in New South Wales, 1,700 with hospital-grade care at home in New South Wales. So when we talk about opening up, people often say, well, look at the UK, look at the US. Well, let's look at the UK. The UK's daily hospital admissions are already at 1,000 a day on the first day of autumn, the first day of autumn. Their death rate... Their death rate was averaging 106 a day over a seven-day average, 106 a day on the last day of summer. On the first day of autumn, on the first day of autumn, the 1st of September, it jumped to 207. So opening up is all well and good. The idea that we'll manage COVID as an endemic part of our society is all well and good. But blindly following what's happened in the Northern Hemisphere without actually considering what's actually happening in the Northern Hemisphere. It's great that they had targets. It's great that they've opened up if it hasn't had a negative impact. But what we're starting to see is autumn is here and winter is coming. And the Northern Hemisphere is now open to all of it. In the US, we're seeing vaccinated people get COVID from their children picking it up at school. There are lots of reports. You can go to the NPR, a very reputable American news agency, reporting that teachers are infecting students, students are infecting teachers, parents are getting it from students. The lack of a mask mandate is impacting heavily, particularly in the southern states. There you're seeing death rates go from 1,500 to 2,000 a day. Hospital emergency rooms, totally overwhelmed. ICUs, totally overwhelmed, particularly in the southern states. At the same time, you've got storms in the south and people unable to uh, evacuate hospitals in the path of storms because there's nowhere to send people because of the high COVID rates. This is all. These are all things we need to consider when we talk about opening up, when we talk about reaching these thresholds. Even Stuart Robert, who is, I think, one of the most dire Commonwealth ministers we've had, certainly in my lifetime, if not in the history of Federation, talked about the plan and the need for change in the plan if the circumstances change. But a plan is a plan that we must follow. He was on Insiders today. It was a total mess. And I think some of the panellists tried to really just dismiss his entire contribution. But it is worth listening to some of the rhetoric backing off a bit from the Morrison government. Because frankly, while Gladys might be out there every day talking about international travel and we'll never have lockdowns again and it's all going to be great and it's all going to be wonderful, the reality is she has totally mismanaged the situation in New South Wales. There are hardcore Liberal voters that I know who have totally abandoned her and her party because of how poorly they've managed the entire situation. They've had months of lockdown. They haven't achieved a reduction in numbers. They haven't actually gone hard and gone fast. They've gone slow. They've gone incremental. And they've dragged out the pain, not just for them, but for the whole country. We're seeing truck drivers now from New South Wales accidentally and incidentally spreading COVID into places like Queensland, WA. We're seeing individual cases pop up. And with Delta, with Delta, there is no such thing as a single case. There's no such thing as a once-off. 
You know, the ability to suppress Delta is, gives you a very narrow window, and, and there's a lot of luck involved. And frankly, Gladys's failure to go hard, go early, has resulted in the situation we have now, where we will have months of lockdowns, months of restrictions, and then an ongoing period of protections that we will need to have in place. We simply will have to have them in place because even those 70 and 80% targets don't include people under 16. And we can't, we cannot send children to the ICU. We cannot have children being ventilated simply because some older Australians don't want to get vaccinated or don't want to wear masks or want to go to the footy. That That's an unacceptable, it's an unacceptable outcome. Of course, we all want to open up now. Of course, we all want that freedom. But we cannot allow ourselves to be sucked into the idea that our children, our most vulnerable people, should pay the price for that. I refuse to accept that. So we have to stay the course. We have to lift the vaccination rates. Of course, we do. We all should be out there getting vaccinated. If you can get vaccinated, get vaccinated. But we cannot fail to learn the lessons that we can easily observe from the Northern Hemisphere. We have still a small window of added time that we get from them, from their experience. And we need to learn from it, not just blindly copy what they do, but learn from the outcomes of what they do. At this point, I just want to remind people that there's lots going on outside of COVID as well. Lots of economic things, lots of workplace things. And I'm going to touch on some workplace stories today. But I just want to remind people that you can get really good information about what's going on in the workplace, particularly uh, I know there's going to be some really interesting stories about health workers and what's going on in, in the uh, health workforce from the On The Job podcast. This is the Australian Union's podcast. Australian Union's, of course, supporters of this show, but the Australian Union's workplace podcast, On The Job, with Francis Leach and Sally Rugg, two very trusted names, two people you can rely on to interview workers, to get those stories and to pass that information on to you on the job podcast uh, com, uh, au. that's the web address uh, you can get that podcast wherever you've got this one from just search for on the job and you'll find that with Francis Leach and Sally Rugg. Do give it a listen because they have some excellent, excellent interviews uh, already in, in the can and some coming up as well I do want to talk about Stuart Robert a little more because I touched on his, his insider's interview and the kind of bizarre uh, you know, position that he has around the plan that's not a plan, that's a framework that changes when the plan needs to change and all plans are change and, you know, typical Stuart Robert nonsense. You know, Stuart Robert has made a very successful career out of, uh, out of confusing other people uh, and being indecipherable, being a bland, uh, upper middle class, uh, white man from a business background who manages to bore people into submission. You know, this is a guy who, as a minister, oversaw robo-debt. That should have cost him his job. It didn't. As a minister, had tens of thousands of dollars of internet bills that he couldn't explain. Should have cost him his job. It didn't. Uh, a, a man who lied about a, a, a hacking attack on government websites to cover up his and his department's incompetence. Uh, that didn't cost him his job. He has successfully avoided accountability in in ways that 
can only mean more success for him as a Morrison minister. And of course, today he was on Insiders doing much the same again. The point I want to talk about is JobKeeper here. $13 billion in JobKeeper misallocated to highly profitable companies. We're seeing Labor, Rex Patrick, the Greens, Union Movement, everybody out there going, there are people who need to repay this money. We saw uh, Jerry Harvey's core company repay uh, a small portion, about 25% of its overpayment uh, during the week. Then Jerry Harvey being bizarre about it and not wanting to talk about it, but do, agreeing to do media about it. It's all a publicity stunt, folks. It's all about repairing the brand damage uh, uh, of a man who has consistently uh, greedily attacked uh, the Australian way of life and workers' wages while securing for himself as many uh, boondoggles as possible. Stuart Robert basically said that the government wouldn't publish a list of companies that receive JobKeeper, uh, wouldn't uh, expose them to that transparency because that would be a breach of their privacy. There would be privacy concerns for Stuart Robert in having companies, which are not people, despite the legal framework which gives them some uh, rights as people. They are not people. Uh, we apparently can't know. Well, we shouldn't know uh, those profitable companies. And the government shouldn't reclaim this money, apparently. It's not right for the government to do that because, of course, that would shake confidence, that magic, mystical fluid of confidence that flows through businesses and creates economic opportunity, uh, according to the neoliberal trickle-down book of fairy dust and fairy tales. At the same time, it's important to note that the government, through Centrelink is going after about $33 million in JobKeeper payments that were actually claimed by workers. So money that's been paid out to working people, uh, often migrant workers, uh, and the government has no problem going after these people, no problem at all trying to reclaim money from people who actually used the money to pay their bills, put food on the table, survive the pandemic. Didn't pump it into some kind of profit line or pay it out as dividends to offshore owners. These are people in Australia who needed that money and used that money to survive during the pandemic. No problem chasing them. Stuart Robert, the minister formerly responsible for robo-debt, happy to go after working people who got JobKeeper, not so happy to go after companies and corporations uh, who received billions billions in JobKeeper that they didn't deserve or didn't need. The union movement continues to take up this fight and continues to back in workers who are being persecuted by this government uh, when it comes to JobKeeper and also to expose those corporations who refuse to give back money they didn't need and used for dividends and executive bonuses. There's never been a better time to join your union. This is These are times of uncertainty. These are times of great disruption. And when you are a member of a union, you have that community. You have clear avenues of reliable information. You have support networks. And standing together, you can actually get better job security, better wages, and a stronger community. That's why we're so pleased to be supported by Australian unions on this show. That's why 
we always say go to australianunions.org.au slash wow to join your union. You can do it right now. You can be set up, ready to go for the week, the months, the years ahead. And here are some good news stories about things that have happened this week that you may not have picked up on. You might remember we talked about the situation in Tasmania with the McCain's workers who were locked out, who won that battle to go back into the workplace. Well, they've won their uh, agreement as well. They've won at least 9.8% pay increase over the next three years. They've won paid family and domestic violence leave in their agreement. They've won double time on overtime, and they've won improved rates for apprentices. Improved rates for apprentices. That's a big win. The AMWU, the workers, they stood together. I know a lot of people who listen to this show supported that campaign as well. So congratulations to them. Fantastic outcome. On a macro level, people will know that Van and I have been very supportive of offshore wind as a source of energy for this country. Well, the Morrison government has delayed and delayed and delayed. There has been multiple projects put forward. Star of the South is a really important potential project that will create many hundreds, if not thousands of jobs for workers in the maritime industry, the manufacturing industry, and the MUA, the AMWU, other unions in this space have been saying to the government, just pass the enabling legislation, just make it legal for us to go through a process to have these projects assessed so that they can get up and running, so they can get up and running. Finally, That legislation has been tabled in Parliament. Finally, the Morrison government is getting out of the way, getting out of the way of the provision of renewable energy because there is a company, there are companies ready to go, there are workers ready to go. So that's another big win for workers in union. And of course, there was the Senate report on temporary migration. This was another big win Another big win by workers, and the AWU has really pushed on this. I know the uh, ACTU, Australian Unions, um, the whole range of unions, the UWU, many, many unions in this space. Because, of course, we know, and we've talked about before, how temporary migration is used uh, as a means of exploiting workers. Workers from countries where the wages are not as good, where the unions are not as strong, uh, are often brought here and then exploited by unscrupulous employers. And this Senate report has recommended that unions should be able to conduct audits of the workplace to make sure wages are being paid properly, to make sure there isn't harassment and bullying on site, that there should be a capacity for a small claims tribunal to settle wage issues. in rapid, rapid time, as opposed to elongated processes that often don't come to a conclusion before the person's visa has expired, that there'll be bans for employers who consistently exploit migrant workers, and that there'll be protection for whistleblowers as well, so that a migrant worker on a temporary visa doesn't have to fear being deported should they report their employer for doing the wrong thing and their employer withdraw support for the visa. This is a huge win, a huge win for migrant workers. Uh, And of course, now we need to see these things become law. And that's where continuing the pressure through the union movement, through political activism is so, so important. That's the weekend wrap 
for this weekend. Lots has happened in the time since we last spoke on Wednesday. Lots, I'm sure, will happen between now and next Wednesday. Wherever you are around the country, I hope you're staying safe. I hope you've had a good weekend, and I hope that you'll be kind to yourself and to each other.